Chapter Forty One of Louisa de la Valliere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliere by Alexandra Dumas. Chapter Forty One wherein may be seen that a bargain which cannot be made with one person can be carried out with another. Aramis had been perfectly correct in his supposition, for hardly had she left the house in the place Boudouet than Madame de Chevreux proceeded homeward. She was doubtless afraid of being followed, and by this means thought she might succeed in throwing those who might be following her off their guard but scarcely had she arrived within the door of the hotel, and hardly had assured herself that no one who could cause her any uneasiness was on her track, when she opened the door of the garden leading into another street, and hurried towards the Rue Croix des Petits Champs, where Monsieur Colbert resided. We have already said that evening, or rather night, had closed in. It was a dark, thick night, besides, Paris had once more sunk into its calm, quiescent state, enshrouding alike within its indulgent mantle, the high-born duchess carrying out her political intrigue, and the simple citizen's wife, who, having been detained late by a supper in the city, was making her way slowly homewards, hanging on the arm of a lover by the shortest possible route. Madame de Chevreux had been too well accustomed to nocturnal political intrigues to be ignorant that a minister never denies himself even at his own private residence to any young and beautiful woman who may chance to object to the dust and confusion of a public office or to old women as full of experience as of years who dislike the indiscreet echo of official residences a valet received the duchess under the peristyle and received her it must be admitted with some indifference of manner he intimated, after having looked at her face, that it was hardly at such an hour that one so advanced in years as herself could be permitted to disturb Monsieur Colbert's important occupations. But Madame de Chevreux, without looking or appearing to be annoyed, wrote her name upon a leaf of her tablets, a name which had but too frequently sounded so disagreeably in the ears of Louis the Thirteenth and of the great cardinal she wrote her name in the large ill-formed characters of the higher classes of that period handed it to the valet without uttering a word but with so haughty and imperious a gesture that the fellow well accustomed to judge of people from their manners and appearance perceived at once the quality of the person before him bowed his head and ran to monsieur colbert's room the minister could not control a sudden exclamation as he opened the paper and the valet, gathering from it the interest with which his master regarded the mysterious visitor, returned as fast as he could to beg the duchess to follow him. She ascended to the first floor of the beautiful new house very slowly, rested herself on the landing-place in order not to enter the apartment out of breath, and appeared before Monsieur Colbert, who, with his own hands, held both the folding doors open. The duchess paused at the threshold for the purpose of well studying the character of the man with whom she was about to converse. At the first glance, the round, large, heavy head, 
thick brows and ill-favored features of colbert who wore thrust low down on his head a cap like a priest's calotte seemed to indicate that buck with little difficulty was likely to be met with her in negotiations with him but also that she was to expect as little interest in the discussion of particulars for there was scarcely any indication that the rough and uncouth nature of the man was susceptible to the impulses of a refined revenge or of an exalted ambition but when on closer inspection the duchess perceived the small piercingly black eyes the longitudinal wrinkles of his high and massive forehead the imperceptible twitching of the lips on which were apparent traces of rough good-humour madame de chevreux altered her opinion of him and felt she could say to herself i have found the man i want what is the subject madame which procures me the honour of a visit from you he inquired the need i have of you monsieur returned the duchess as well as that which you have of me i am delighted madame with the first portion of your sentence but as far as the second portion is concerned madame de chevreux sat down in the armchair which monsieur colbert advanced towards her monsieur colbert you are the intendant of finances and are ambitious of becoming the superintendent madame nay do not deny it that would only unnecessarily prolong our conversation and that is useless and yet madame however well disposed and inclined to show politeness i may be towards a lady of your position and merit nothing will make me confess that i have ever entertained the idea of supplanting my superior i said nothing about supplanting monsieur colbert could i accidentally have made use of that word i hardly think that likely the word replace is less aggressive in its signification and more grammatically suitable as monsieur de Fauteur would say i presume therefore that you are ambitious of replacing monsieur fouquet monsieur fouquet's fortune madame enables him to withstand all attempts the superintendent in this age plays the part of the colossus of Rhodes the vessels pass beneath him and do not overthrow him i ought to have availed myself precisely of that very comparison it is true monsieur fouquet plays the part of the colossus of Rhodes, but i remember to have heard it said by monsieur conrad a member of the academy i believe that when the colossus of Rhodes fell from its lofty position the merchant who had cast it down a merchant nothing more monsieur colbert loaded four hundred camels with the ruins a merchant and that is considerably less than an intendant of finances madame i can assure you that i shall never overthrow monsieur fouquet very good monsieur colbert since you persist in showing so much sensitiveness with me as if you were ignorant that i am madame de chevreux and also that i am somewhat advanced in years in other words that you have to do with a woman who has had political dealings with the cardinal richelieu and who has no time to lose as i repeat you do not hesitate to commit such an imprudence i shall go and find others who are more intelligent and more desirous of making their fortunes how madame how you give me a very poor idea of negotiations of the present day i assure you that if in my earlier days a woman had gone to monsieur de cinq marsa 
who was not moreover a man of a very high order of intellect and had said to him about the cardinal what i have just said to you of monsieur fouquet monsieur de saint marsa would by this time have already set actively to work nay madame show a little indulgence i entreat you well then do you really consent to replace monsieur fouquet certainly i do if the king dismisses monsieur fouquet again a word too much it is quite evident that if you have not yet succeeded in driving monsieur fouquet from his post it is because you have not been able to do so therefore i should be the greatest simpleton possible if in coming to you i did not bring the very thing you require i am distressed to be obliged to persist madame said colbert after a silence which enabled the duchess to sound the depths of his dissimulation but i must warn you that for the last six years denunciation after denunciation has been made against monsieur fouquet and he has remained unshaken and unaffected by them there is a time for everything monsieur colbert those who were the authors of those denunciations were not called madame de chevreux and they had no proofs equal to the six letters from monsieur de mazarin which established the offence in question the offence the crime if you like it better the crime committed by monsieur fouquet nothing less it is rather strange monsieur colbert but your face which just now was cold and indifferent is now positively the very reverse a crime i am delighted to see that it makes an impression upon you it is because that word madame embraces so many things it embraces the post of superintendent of finance for yourself and a letter of exile or the bastille for monsieur fouquet forgive me madame la duchesse but it is almost impossible that monsieur fouquet can be exiled to be imprisoned or disgraced that is already a great deal oh i am perfectly aware of what i am saying returned madame de chevreux coldly i do not live at such a distance from paris as not to know what takes place there the king does not like monsieur fouquet and he would willingly sacrifice monsieur fouquet if an opportunity were only given him it must be a good one though good enough and one i estimate to be worth five hundred thousand francs in what way said colbert i mean monsieur that holding this opportunity in my hands i will not allow it to be transferred to yours except for a sum of five hundred thousand francs i understand you perfectly madame but since you have fixed a price for the sale let me now see the value of the articles to be sold oh a mere trifle six letters as i have already told you from monsieur de mazarin and the autographs will most assuredly not be regarded as too highly priced if they establish in an irrefutable manner that monsieur fouquet has embezzled large sums of money from the treasury and appropriated them to his own purposes in an irrefutable manner do you say observed colbert whose eyes sparkled with delight perfectly so would you like to read the letters with all my heart copies of course of course the copies said the duchess as she drew from her bosom a small packet of papers flattened by her velvet bodice read she said colbert eagerly snatched the papers and devoured them excellent he said it is clear enough is it not 
"'Yes, madame, yes. Monsieur Mazarin must have handed the money to Monsieur Fouquet, who must have kept it for his own purposes. But the question is, what money?' "'Exactly, what money? If we come to terms, I will join to these six letters a seventh, which will supply you with the fullest particulars.' Colbert reflected. "'And the originals of these letters?' a useless question to ask exactly as if i were to ask you monsieur colbert whether the money-bags you will give me will be full or empty very good madame is it concluded no for there is one circumstance to which neither of us has given any attention name it monsieur fouquet can be utterly ruined under the legal circumstances you have detailed only by means of legal proceedings well a public scandal for instance and yet neither the legal proceedings nor the scandal can be commenced against him why not because he is procureur-general of the parliament because too in france all public administrators the army justice itself and commerce are intimately connected by ties of good fellowship which people call esprit de corps in such a case madame the parliament will never permit its chief to be dragged before a public tribunal and never even if he be dragged there by royal authority never i say will he be condemned well monsieur colbert i do not see what i have to do with that i am aware of that madame but i have to do with it and it consequently diminishes the value of what you have brought to show me what good can a proof of a crime be to me without the possibility of obtaining a condemnation even if he be only suspected monsieur fouquet will lose his post of superintendent is that all exclaimed colbert whose dark gloomy features were momentarily lighted up by an expression of hate and vengeance ah ah monsieur colbert said the duchess forgive me but i did not think you were so impressionable very good in that case since you need more than i have to give you there is no occasion to speak of the matter at all yes madame we will go on talking of it only as the value of your commodities had decreased you must lower your pretensions you are bargaining then every man who wishes to deal loyally is obliged to do so how much will you offer me two hundred thousand francs said colbert the duchess laughed in his face and then said suddenly wait a moment i have another arrangement to propose will you give me three hundred thousand francs no no oh you can either accept or refuse my terms besides that is not all more still you are becoming too impracticable to deal with madame less so than you think perhaps for it is not money i am going to ask you for what is it then a service you know that i have always been most affectionately attached to the queen and i am desirous of having an interview with her majesty with the queen yes monsieur colbert with the queen who is i admit no longer my friend and who has ceased to be so for a long time past but who may again become so if the opportunity be only given her her majesty has ceased to receive any one madame she is a great sufferer and you may be aware that the paroxysms of her disease occur with greater frequency than ever that is the very reason why i wish to have an interview with her majesty for in flanders there is a great variety of these kinds of complaints what cancers a fearful incurable disorder do not believe that monsieur colbert 
the flemish peasant is somewhat a man of nature and his companion for life is not alone a wife but a female laborer also for while he is smoking his pipe the woman works it is she who draws the water from the well she who loads the mule or the ass and even bears herself a portion of the burden taking but a little care of herself she gets knocked about first in one direction and then in another and very often is beaten by her husband and cancers frequently rise from the contusions true true said colbert the flemish women do not die the sooner on that account when they are great sufferers from this disease they go in search of remedies and the beguines of bruza are excellent doctors for every kind of disease they have precious waters of one sort or another specifics of various kinds and they give a bottle of it and a wax candle to the sufferer whereby the priests are gainers and heaven is served by the disposal of both their wares i will take the queen some of this holy water which i will procure from the beguines of bruza her majesty will recover and will burn as many wax candles as she may see fit you see monsieur colbert to prevent my seeing the queen is almost as bad as committing the crime of regicide you are undoubtedly madame la duchesse a woman of exceedingly great abilities and i am more than astounded at their display still i cannot but suppose that this charitable consideration towards the queen in some measure covers a slight personal interest for yourself i have not given myself the trouble to conceal it that i am aware of monsieur colbert you said i believe that i had a slight personal interest on the contrary it is a very great interest and i will prove it to you by resuming what i was saying if you procure me a personal interview with her majesty i will be satisfied with the three hundred thousand francs i have claimed if not i shall keep my letters unless indeed you give me on the spot five hundred thousand francs and rising from her seat with this decisive remark the old duchess plunged monsieur colbert into a disagreeable perplexity to bargain any further was out of the question and not to bargain was to pay a great deal too dearly for them madame he said i shall have the pleasure of handing over a hundred thousand crowns but how shall i get the actual letters themselves in the simplest manner in the world my dear monsieur colbert whom will you trust the financier began to laugh silently so that his large eyebrows went up and down like the wings of a bat upon the deep lines of his yellow forehead no one he said you surely will make an exception in your own favor monsieur colbert in what way madame i mean that if you would take the trouble to accompany me to the place where the letters are they would be delivered into your own hands and you would be able to verify and check them quite true you would bring the hundred thousand crowns with you at the same time for i too do not trust any one colbert colored to the tips of his ears like all eminent men in the art of figures he was of an insolent and mathematical probity i will take with me madame he said two orders for the amount agreed upon payable at my treasury will that satisfy you would that the orders on your treasury were for two millions monsieur l'intendant i shall have the pleasure of showing you the way then allow me to order my carriage i have a carriage below monsieur colbert coughed like an irresolute man he imagined for a moment that the proposition of the duchess was a snare 
that perhaps someone was waiting at the door, and that she whose secret had just been sold to Colbert for a hundred thousand crowns had already offered it to Fouquet for the same sum. As he still hesitated, the duchess looked at him full in the face. "'You prefer your own carriage?' she said. "'I admit I do. You suppose I am going to lead you into a snare or trap of some sort or other?' madame la duchesse you have the character of being somewhat inconsiderate at times as i am reputed a sober solemn character a jest or practical joke might compromise me yes the fact is you are afraid well then take your own carriage as many servants as you like only think well of what i am going to say what we two may arrange between ourselves we are the only persons who will know if a third person is present, we might as well tell the whole world about it. After all, I do not make a point of it. My carriage shall follow yours, and I shall be satisfied to accompany you in your own carriage to the Queen. To the Queen? Have you forgotten that already? Is it possible that one of the clauses of the agreement of so much importance to me can have escaped you so soon? How trifling it seems to you, indeed. If I had known it, I should have asked double what I have done i have reflected madame and i shall not accompany you really and why not because i have the most perfect confidence in you you overpower me but provided i receive the hundred thousand crowns here they are madame said colbert scribbling a few lines on a piece of paper which he handed to the duchess adding you are paid that trade is a fine one monsieur colbert and i will reward you for it she said beginning to laugh Madame de Chevreuse's laugh was a very sinister sound. A man with youth, faith, love, life itself, throbbing in his heart, would prefer a sob to such a lamentable laugh. The duchess opened the front of her dress and drew forth from her bosom, somewhat less white than it once had been, a small packet of papers, tied with a flame-colored ribbon, and still laughing, she said, "'There, Monsieur Colbert, are the originals of Cardinal Mazarin's letters.' they are now your own property she added refastening the body of her dress your fortune is secured and now accompany me to the queen no madame if you are again about to run the chance of her majesty's displeasure and it were known at the palais royal that i had been the means of introducing you there the queen would never forgive me while she lived no there are certain persons at the palace who are devoted to me who will procure you an admission without my being compromised just as you please provided i enter what do you term those religious women at bruza who cure disorders beguines good are you one as you please but i must soon cease to be one that is your affair excuse me but i do not wish to be exposed to a refusal that again is your own affair madame i am going to give directions to the head valet of the gentleman in waiting on the queen to allow admission to a beguine who brings an effectual remedy for her majesty's sufferings you are the bearer of my letter you will undertake to be provided with the remedy and will give every explanation on the subject i admit a knowledge of a beguine but i deny all knowledge of madame de chevreux here madame then is your letter of introduction End of chapter 41, recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 42 of Louisa de la Valliere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliere by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter 42 The Skin of the Bear. Colbert handed the Duchess the letter and gently drew aside the chair behind which she was standing. Madame de Chevreux, with a very slight bow, immediately left the room. Colbert, who had recognized Mazarin's handwriting, and had counted the letters, rang to summon his secretary, whom he enjoined to go in immediate search of Monsieur Vanel, the counsellor of the Parliament. The secretary replied that, according to his usual practice, Monsieur Vanel had just that moment entered the house in order to give the intendant an account of the principal details of the business which had been transacted during the day in parliament colbert approached one of the lamps read the letters of the deceased cardinal over again smiled repeatedly as he recognized the great value of the papers madame de chevreux had just delivered and burying his head in his hands for a few minutes reflected profoundly in the meantime a tall loosely made man entered the room his spare, thin face, steady look, and hooked nose, as he entered Colbert's cabinet, with a modest assurance of manner, revealed a character at once supple and decided. Supple towards the master, who could throw him the prey, firm towards the dogs who might possibly be disposed to dispute its possession. Monsieur Vanel carried a voluminous bundle of papers under his arm, and placed it on the desk on which Colbert was leaning both his elbows as he supported his head. "'Good day, Monsieur Vanel,' said the latter, rousing himself from his meditation. "'Good day, Monseigneur,' said Vanel, naturally. "'You should say Monsieur, and not Monseigneur,' replied Colbert gently. "'We give the title of Monseigneur to ministers,' returned Vanel, with extreme self-possession. "'And you are a minister?' "'Not yet.' "'You are so in point of fact.' and i call you monseigneur accordingly besides you are seigneur for me and that is sufficient if you dislike my calling you monseigneur before others allow me at least to call you so in private colbert raised his head as if to read or try to read upon vanel's face how much or how little sincerity entered into this protestation of devotion but the counsellor knew perfectly well how to sustain the weight of such a look even backed with the full authority of the title he had conferred. Colbert sighed, he could not read anything in Vanel's face, and Vanel might possibly be honest in his professions, but Colbert reflected that this man, inferior to himself in every other respect, was actually his master, in virtue of the fact of his having a wife. As he was pitying this man's lot, Vanel coldly drew from his pocket a perfumed letter, sealed with spanish wax and held it towards colbert saying 
a letter from my wife monseigneur colbert coughed took opened and read the letter and then put it carefully away in his pocket while vanel turned over the leaves of the papers he had brought with him with an unmoved and unconcerned air vanel he said suddenly to his protege you are a hard-working man i know would twelve hours daily labor frighten you i work fifteen hours every day impossible a councillor need not work more than three hours a day in parliament oh i am working up some returns for a friend of mine in the department of accounts and as i still have spare time on my hands i am studying hebrew your reputation stands high in the parliament Benel. i believe so monseigneur you must not grow rusty in your post of councillor what must i do to avoid it purchase a high place mean and low ambitions are very difficult to satisfy small purses are the most difficult ones to fill monseigneur what post have you in view said colbert i see none not one there is one certainly but one need almost be the king himself to be able to buy it without inconvenience and the king will not be inclined i suppose to purchase the post of procureur-general at these words Vanel fixed his peculiar humble dull look upon colbert who could hardly tell whether Vanel comprehended him or not why do you speak to me monseigneur said Vanel, of the post of procureur-general to the parliament i know no other post than the one monsieur fouquet fills exactly so my dear counsellor you are not over fastidious monseigneur but before the post can be bought it must be offered for sale i believe monsieur vanel that it will be for sale before long for sale what monsieur fouquet's post of procureur-general so it is said the post which renders him so perfectly invincible for sale ha ha said vanel beginning to laugh would you be afraid then of the post said colbert gravely afraid no but are you desirous of obtaining it you are laughing at me monseigneur replied vanel is it likely that a councillor of the parliament would not be desirous of becoming procureur-general well monsieur vanel since i tell you that the post as report goes will be shortly for sale i cannot help repeating monseigneur that it is impossible a man never throws away the buckler behind which he maintains his honour his fortune his very life there are certain men mad enough vanel to fancy themselves out of the reach of all mischances yes monseigneur but such men never commit their mad acts for the advantage of the poor vanels of the world why not for the very reason that those vanels are poor it is true that m fouquet's post might cost a good round sum what would you bid for it m vanel everything i am worth which means three or four hundred thousand francs and the post is worth a million and a half at the very lowest i know persons who have offered one million seven hundred thousand francs without being able to persuade m fouquet to sell besides supposing it were to happen that m fouquet wished to sell which i do not believe in spite of what i have been told ah you have heard something about it then who told you monsieur de gourville monsieur pelisot and others very good if therefore monsieur fouquet did wish to sell i could not buy it just yet 
since the superintendent will only sell for ready money and no one has a million and a half to put down at once colbert suddenly interrupted the counsellor by an imperious gesture he had begun to meditate observing his superior's serious attitude and his perseverance in continuing the conversation on this subject vanel awaited the solution without venturing to precipitate it explain to me the privileges which this post confers the right of impeaching every french subject who is not a prince of the blood the right of quashing all proceedings taken against any frenchman who is neither king nor prince the procureur-general is the king's right hand to punish the guilty the office is the means whereby also he can evade the administration of justice monsieur fouquet therefore would be able by stirring up parliament to maintain himself even against the king and the king could as easily by humouring monsieur fouquet get his edicts registered in spite of every opposition and objection the procureur-general can be made a very useful or a very dangerous instrument vanel would you like to be procureur-general said colbert suddenly softening both his look and his voice i exclaimed the latter i have already had the honour to represent to you that i want about eleven hundred thousand francs to make up the amount borrow that sum from your friends i have no friends richer than myself you are an honest and honourable man vanel ah monseigneur if the world would only think as you do i think so and that is quite enough and if it should be needed i will be your security do not forget the proverb monseigneur what is it that he who becomes responsible for another has to pay for his fancy let that make no difference vanel rose bewildered by this offer which had been so suddenly and unexpectedly made to him you are not trifling with me monseigneur he said stay you say that monsieur gourville has spoken to you about monsieur fouquet's post yes and monsieur pelisseau also officially so or only through their own suggestion these were their very words the parliament members are as proud as they are wealthy they ought to club together two or three millions among themselves to present to their protector and leader monsieur fouquet and what did you reply i said that for my own part i would give ten thousand francs if necessary ah you like monsieur fouquet then exclaimed colbert with a look of hatred no but monsieur fouquet is our chief he is in debt is on the high road to ruin and we ought to save the honour of the body of which we are members exactly and that explains why monsieur fouquet will always be safe and sound so long as he occupies his present post replied colbert thereupon said vanel monsieur gourville added if we were to do anything out of charity to monsieur fouquet it could not be otherwise than most humiliating to him and he would be sure to refuse it let the parliament subscribe among themselves to purchase in a proper manner the post of procureur-general in that case all would go well the honour of our body would be saved and monsieur fouquet's pride spared that is an opening i consider it so monseigneur well monsieur vanel you will go at once and find out either monsieur gourville or monsieur pelisseau do you know any other friend of monsieur fouquet i know monsieur de la fontaine very well la fontaine the rhymester yes he used to write verses to my wife when monsieur fouquet was one of our friends 
go to him then and try and procure an interview with the superintendent willingly but the sum itself on the day and hour you arrange to settle the matter monsieur vanel you shall be supplied with the money so do not make yourself uneasy on that account monseigneur such munificence you eclipse kings even you surpass monsieur fouquet himself stay a moment do not let us mistake each other i do not make you a present of fourteen hundred thousand francs monsieur vanel for i have children to provide for but i will lend you that sum ask whatever interest whatever security you please monseigneur i am quite ready and when all your requisitions are satisfied i will still repeat that you surpass kings and monsieur fouquet in munificence what conditions do you impose the repayment in eight years with a mortgage upon the appointment itself certainly is that all wait a moment i reserve to myself the right of purchasing the post from you at one hundred and fifty thousand francs profit for yourself if in your mode of filling the office you do not follow out a line of conduct in conformity with the interests of the king and with my projects ah said vanel in an altered tone is there anything in that which can possibly be objectionable to you monsieur vanel said colbert coldly oh no no replied vanel nervously very good we will sign an agreement to that effect whenever you like and now go as quickly as you can to monsieur fouquet's friend obtain an interview with the superintendent do not be too difficult in making whatever concessions may be required of you and when the arrangements are all made i will press him to sign be most careful to do nothing of the kind do not speak of signatures with monsieur fouquet nor of deeds nor even ask him to pass his word understand this otherwise you will lose everything all you have to do is get monsieur fouquet to give you his hand on the matter go go end of chapter forty two recording by dion Drynes, salt lake city utah chapter forty three of louisa de la valliera this is a librivox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliera by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 43. An Interview with the Queen Mother. The Queen Mother was in the bedroom at the Palais Royal with Madame de Montevilla and Signora Molina king louis who had been impatiently expected the whole day had not made his appearance and the queen who was growing impatient had often sent to inquire about him the moral atmosphere of the court seemed to indicate an approaching storm the courtiers and the ladies of the court avoided meeting in the antechambers and the corridors in order not to converse on compromising subjects monsieur had joined the king early in the morning for a hunting party madame remained in her own apartment cool and distant to every one and the queen mother after she had said her prayers in latin talked of domestic matters with her two friends in pure castilian madame de motville who understood the language perfectly answered her in french when the three ladies had exhausted every form of dissimulation and of politeness as a circuitous mode of expressing that the king's conduct was making the queen and the queen-mother pine away through sheer grief and vexation 
and when in the most guarded and polished phrases they had fulminated every variety of imprecation against mademoiselle de valliere the queen mother terminated her attack by an exclamation indicative of her own reflections and character estos hijos said she to molina which means these children words full of meaning on a mother's lips words full of terrible significance in the mouth of a queen who like anne of austria hid many curious secrets in her soul yes said molina children children for whom every mother becomes a sacrifice yes replied the queen a mother sacrifices everything certainly she did not finish her phrase for she fancied when she raised her eyes towards the full-length portrait of the pale louis the thirteenth that light once more flashed from her husband's dull eyes and his nostrils grew livid with wrath the portrait seemed animated by a living expression speak it did not but it seemed to threaten a profound silence succeeded the queen's last remark la molina began to turn over ribbons and laces on a large work-table madame de motville surprised at the look of mutual intelligence which had been exchanged between the confidant and her mistress cast down her eyes like a discreet woman and pretended to be observant of nothing that was passing listened with the utmost attention to every word she heard nothing however but a very insignificant hum on the part of the spanish duenna who was the incarnation of caution and a profound sigh on that of the queen she looked up immediately you are suffering she said no Maltvia, no why do you say that your majesty almost groaned just now you are right i did sigh in truth monsieur valat is not far off i believe he is in madame's apartment why is he with madame madame is troubled with nervous attacks a very fine disorder indeed there is little good in monsieur valot being there when a very different physician could quickly cure madame madame de motville looked up with an air of great surprise as she replied another doctor instead of monsieur valot whom do you mean occupation motville occupation if any one is really ill it is my poor daughter and your majesty too less so this evening though do not believe that too confidently madame said de motville and as if to justify her caution a sharp acute pain seized the queen who turned deadly pale and threw herself back in the chair with every symptom of a sudden fainting fit molina ran to a richly gilded tortoise-shell cabinet from which she took a large rock-crystal bottle of scented salts and held it to the queen's nostrils who inhaled it wildly for a few minutes and murmured it is hastening my death but heaven's will be done your majesty's death is not so near at hand added molina replacing the smelling bottle in the cabinet does your majesty feel better now inquired madame de motville much better returned the queen placing her finger on her lips to impose silence on her favorite it is very strange remarked madame de motville after a pause what is strange said the queen does your majesty remember the day when this pain attacked you for the first time 
i remember only that it was a grievously sad day for me montville but your majesty did not always regard that day as a sad one why because three-and-twenty years ago on that very day his present majesty your own glorious son was born at the very same hour the queen uttered a loud cry buried her face in her hands and seemed utterly prostrated for some minutes but whether from recollections which arose in her mind or from reflection or even with sheer pain was doubtful la molina darted a look at madame de motville so full of bitter reproach that the poor woman perfectly ignorant of its meaning was in her own exculpation on the point of asking an explanation when suddenly anne of austria arose and said yes the fifth of september my sorrow began on the fifth of september the greatest joy one day the deepest sorrow the next the sorrow she added the bitter expiation of a too excessive joy and from that moment anne of austria whose memory and reason seemed to be suspended for the time remained impenetrable with vacant look mind almost wandering and hands hanging heavily down as if life had almost departed we must put her to bed said la molina presently molina let us leave the queen alone added the spanish attendant madame de motville rose large tears were rolling down the queen's pallid face and molina having observed this sign of weakness fixed her black vigilant eyes upon her yes yes replied the queen leave us motville go the word us produced a disagreeable effect upon the ears of the french favorite for it signified that an interchange of secrets or of revelations of the past was about to be made and that one person was de trop in the conversation which seemed likely to take place will molina alone be sufficient for your majesty to-night inquired the french woman yes replied the queen madame de motville bowed in submission and was about to withdraw when suddenly an old female attendant dressed as if she had belonged to the spanish court of the year sixteen twenty opened the door and surprised the queen in her tears the remedy she cried delightedly to the queen as she unceremoniously approached the group what remedy asked anne of austria for your majesty's sufferings the former replied who brings it asked madame de motville eagerly monsieur valot no a lady from flanders from flanders is she spanish inquired the queen i don't know who sent her monsieur colbert her name she did not mention it her position in life she will answer that herself who is she she is masked go molina go and see cried the queen it is needless suddenly replied a voice at once firm and gentle in its tone which proceeded from the other side of the tapestry hangings a voice which made the attendants start and the queen tremble excessively at the same moment a masked female appeared through the hangings and before the queen could speak a syllable she added i am connected with the order of the beguine of bruges and do indeed bring with me the remedy which is certain to effect a cure of your majesty's complaint no one uttered a sound and the beguine did not move a step speak said the queen 
I will, when we are alone, was the answer. Anne of Austria looked at her attendants, who immediately withdrew. The Beguine thereupon advanced a few steps toward the queen, and bowed reverently before her. The queen gazed with increasing mistrust at this woman, who, in her turn, fixed a pair of brilliant eyes upon her, through her mask. The queen of France must indeed be very ill, said Anne of Austria, if it is known at the Beguinage of Brujas that she stands in need of being cured. Your majesty is not irremediably ill. But tell me how you happen to know I am suffering. Your majesty has friends in Flanders. Since these friends, then, sent you, mention their names. Impossible, madame, since your majesty's memory has not been awakened by your heart. Anne of Austria looked up, endeavoring to discover through the mysterious mask and this ambiguous language the name of her companion, who expressed herself with such familiarity and freedom. Then suddenly, wearied by a curiosity which wounded every feeling of pride in her nature, she asked, You are ignorant, perhaps, that royal personages are never spoken to with the face masked. Deign to excuse me, madame, replied the Beguine humbly. I cannot excuse you. I may possibly forgive you if you throw your mask aside. I have made a vow, madame, to attend and aid all afflicted and suffering persons without ever permitting them to behold my face. I might have been able to administer some relief to your body and to your mind, too. But since your majesty forbids me, I will take my leave. Adieu, madame, adieu. These words were uttered with a harmony of tone and respective manner that disarmed the queen of all anger and suspicion, but did not remove her feeling of curiosity. You are right, she said. It ill becomes those who are suffering to reject the means of relief heaven sends to them. Speak, then. And may you indeed be able, as you assert, to administer relief to my body. Let us first speak a little of the mind, if you please, said the Beguine of the mind which i am sure must also suffer my mind there are cancers so insidious in their nature that their very pulsations cannot be felt such cancers madame leave the ivory whiteness of the skin unblemished and putrefy not the firm fair flesh with their blue tints the physician who bends over the patient's chest hears not, though he listens, the insatiable teeth of the disease grinding onward through the muscles, and the blood flows freely on. The knife has never been able to destroy, and rarely even temporarily, to disarm the rage of these mortal scourges. Their home is in the mind, which they corrupt. They gnaw the whole heart until it breaks." such madame are the cancers fatal to queens are you too free from their scourge anne slowly raised her arm dazzling in its perfect whiteness and pure in its rounded outlines as it was in the time of her earlier days the evils to which you allude she said are the condition of the lives of the high in rank upon earth to whom heaven has imparted mind when those evils become too heavy to be borne heaven lightens their burdens by penitence and confession. Thus, only, we lay down our burden, and the secrets that oppress us. But forget not that the same gracious heaven, in its mercy, apportions to their trials the strength of the feeble creatures of its hand. 
and my strength has enabled me to bear my burden. For the secrets of others, the silence of heaven is more than sufficient. For my own secrets, that of my confessor is enough. You are as courageous, madame, I see, as ever against your enemies. You do not acknowledge your confidence in your friends? Queens have no friends. If you have nothing further to say to me, if you feel yourself inspired by heaven as a prophetess, leave me, I pray, for I dread the future. I should have supposed, said the Beguine resolutely, that you would rather have dreaded the past. Hardly had these words escaped her lips than the queen rose up proudly. Speak, she cried in a short, imperious tone of voice. Explain yourself briefly, quickly, entirely. Or, if not, nay do not threaten me your majesty said the beguine gently i came here to you full of compassion and respect i came here on the part of a friend prove that to me comfort instead of irritating me easily enough and your majesty will see who is friendly to you what misfortune has happened to your majesty during these three and twenty years past serious misfortunes indeed have i not lost the king i speak not of misfortunes of that kind i wish to ask you if since the birth of the king any discretion on a friend's part has caused your majesty the slightest serious anxiety or distress i do not understand you replied the queen clenching her teeth in order to conceal her emotion i will make myself understood then your majesty remembers that the king was born on the fifth of september sixteen thirty eight at a quarter past eleven o'clock yes stammered out the queen at half past twelve continued the beguine the dauphin who had been baptized by monseigneur de meaux in the king's and your own presence was acknowledged as the heir of the crown of france the king then went to the chapel of the old chateau de saint germain to hear the te deum chanted quite true quite true murmured the queen your majesty's conferment took place in the presence of monsieur his majesty's late uncle of the princes and of the ladies attached to the court the king's physician bovard and honore the surgeon were stationed in the antechamber your majesty slept from three o'clock until seven i believe yes yes but you tell me no more than every one else knows as well as you and myself i am now madame approaching that which very few persons are acquainted with very few persons did i say alas i might say two only for formerly there were but five in all and for many years past the secret has been well preserved by the deaths of the principal participators in it the late king sleeps now with his ancestors perronet the midwife soon followed him laporte is already forgotten the queen opened her lips as though to reply she felt beneath her icy hand with which she kept her face half concealed the beads of perspiration on her brow it was eight o'clock pursued the beguine the king was seated at supper full of joy and happiness around him on all sides arose wild cries of delight and drinking of healths the people cheered beneath the balconies the swiss guards the musketeers and the royal guards wandered through the city borne about in triumph by the drunken students 
those boisterous sounds of general joy disturbed the dauphin the future king of france who was quietly lying in the arms of madame de Hossa, his nurse and those eyes as he opened them and stared about might have observed two crowns at the foot of his cradle suddenly your majesty uttered a piercing cry and dame perronet immediately flew to your bedside the doctors were dining in a room at some distance from your chamber the palace deserted from the frequency of the eruptions made into it was without either sentinels or guards the midwife having questioned and examined your majesty gave a sudden exclamation as if in wild astonishment and taking you into her arms bewildered almost out of her senses from sheer distress of mind dispatched laporte to inform the king that her majesty the queen mother wished to see him in her room laporte you are aware madame was a man of the most admirable calmness and presence of mind he did not approach the king as if he were the bearer of alarming intelligence and wished to inspire the terror he himself experienced besides it was not a very terrifying intelligence which awaited the king therefore laporte appeared with a smile upon his lips and approached the king's chair saying to him sire the queen is very happy and would be still more so to see your majesty on that day louis the thirteenth would have given his crown away to the veriest beggar for a god bless you animated light-hearted and full of gaiety the king rose from the table and said to those around him in a hearty tone that henry the fourth might have adopted gentlemen i am going to see my wife he came to your beside madame at the very moment dame perronet presented to him a second prince as beautiful and healthy as the former and said sire heaven will not allow the kingdom of france to fall into the female line the king yielding to a first impulse clasped the child in his arms and cried oh heaven i thank thee at this part of her recital the beguine paused observing how intensely the queen was suffering she had thrown herself back in her chair and with her head bent forward and her eyes fixed listened without seeming to hear and her lips moved convulsively either breathing a prayer to heaven or imprecations on the woman standing before her ah i do not believe that if because there could be but one dauphin in france exclaimed the beguine the woman allowed that child to vegetate banished from his royal parents presence she was on that account an unfeeling mother oh no no there are those alive who have known and witnessed the passionate kisses she imprinted on that innocent creature in exchange for a life of misery and gloom to which state policy condemned the twin brother of louis the fourteenth oh heaven murmured the queen feebly it is admitted continued the beguine quickly that when the king perceived the effect which would result from the existence of two sons equal in age and pretensions he trembled for the welfare of france for the tranquillity of the state and it is equally well known that cardinal de richelieu by the direction of louis the thirteenth thought over the subject with deep attention and after an hour's meditation on his majesty's cabinet he pronounced the following sentence one prince means peace and safety for the state two competitors civil war and anarchy the queen rose suddenly from her seat pale as death 
and her hands clenched together. "'You know too much,' she said in a hoarse, thick voice, "'since you refer to secrets of state. "'As for the friends from whom you have acquired this secret, "'they are false and treacherous. "'You are their accomplice in the crime which is being now committed. "'Now throw aside your mask, or I will have you arrested by my captain of the guards. "'Do not think that this secret terrifies me. "'You have obtained it, you shall restore it to me.' never shall it leave your bosom for neither your secret nor your own life belong to you from this moment anne of austria joining gesture to the threat advanced a couple of steps toward the beguine learn said the latter to know and value the fidelity the honor and secrecy of the friends you have abandoned and then suddenly she threw aside her mask madame de chevreux exclaimed the queen with your majesty the sole living confidant of the secret ah murmured anne of austria come and embrace me duchess alas you kill your friend in thus trifling with her terrible distress and the queen leaning her head upon the shoulder of the old duchess burst into a flood of bitter tears how young you are still said the latter in a hollow voice you can weep end of chapter forty three Recording by Dion Johns, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter 44 of Louisa de la Valliera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Johns. Louisa de la Valliera by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 44 two friends the queen looked steadily at madame de chevreux and said i believe you just now made the use of the word happy in speaking of me hitherto duchess i had thought it impossible that a human creature could anywhere be found more miserable than the queen of france your afflictions madame have indeed been terrible enough but by the side of those great and grand misfortunes to which we two old friends separated by men's malice were just now alluding you possess sources of pleasure slight enough in themselves it may be but greatly envied by the world what are they said anne of austria bitterly what can induce you to pronounce the word pleasure duchess you who just now admitted that my body and my mind both stood in need of remedies madame de chevreux collected herself for a moment and then murmured how far removed kings are from the people what do you mean i mean that they are so far removed from the vulgar herd that they forget that others often stand in need of the bare necessities of life they are like the inhabitant of the african mountains who gazing from the verdant tableland refreshed by the rills of melted snow cannot comprehend that the dwellers in the plains below are perishing from hunger and thirst in the midst of the desert burnt up by the heat of the sun the queen colored for she now began to perceive the drift of her friend's remark it was very wrong she said to have neglected you oh madame i know the king has inherited the hatred his father bore me the king would exile me if he knew i were in the palais royal i cannot say that the king is very well disposed towards you duchess replied the queen but i could secretly you know the duchess's disdainful smile produced a feeling of uneasiness in the queen's mind 
duchess she hastened to add you did perfectly right to come here even were it only to give us the happiness of contradicting the report of your death has it been rumored then that i was dead everywhere and yet my children did not go into mourning ah you know duchess the court is very frequently moving about from place to place we see monsieur albert de luina but seldom and many things escape our minds in the midst of the preoccupations that constantly beset us your majesty ought not to have believed the report of my death why not alas we are all mortal and you may perceive how rapidly i your younger sister as we used formerly to say am approaching the tomb if your majesty believed me dead you ought in that case to have been astonished not to have received the news death not unfrequently takes us by surprise duchess oh your majesty those who are burdened with secrets such as we have just now discussed must as a necessity of their nature satisfy their craving desire to divulge them and they feel they must gratify that desire before they die among the various preparations for their final journey the task of placing their papers in order is not omitted the queen started your majesty will be sure to learn in a particular manner the day of my death in what way because your majesty will receive the next day under several coverings everything connected with our mysterious correspondence of former times did you not burn them cried anne in alarm traitors only replied the duchess destroy a royal correspondence traitors do you say yes certainly or rather they pretend to destroy instead of which they keep or sell it faithful friends on the contrary most carefully secret such treasures for it may happen that some day or other they would wish to seek out their queen in order to say to her madame i am getting old my health is fast failing me in the presence of the danger of death for there is the risk for your majesty that this secret may be revealed take therefore this paper so fraught with menace for yourself and trust not to another to burn it for you what paper do you refer to as far as i am concerned i have but one it is true but that is indeed most dangerous in its nature oh duchess tell me what it is a letter dated tuesday the second of august sixteen forty four in which you beg me to go to noisy lesac to see that unhappy child in your own handwriting madame there are those words that unhappy child a profound silence ensued the queen's mind was busy in the past madame de chevreux was watching the progress of her scheme yes unhappy most unhappy murmured anne of austria how sad the existence he led poor child to finish it in so cruel a manner is he dead cried the duchess suddenly with a curiosity whose genuine accents the queen instinctively detected he died of consumption died forgotten died withered and blighted like the flowers a lover has given to his mistress which she leaves to die secreted in a drawer where she had hid them from the gaze of others died repeated the duchess with an air of discouragement which would have afforded the queen the most unfeigned delight had it not been tempered in some measure with a mixture of doubt died at noisy Lysac? yes in the arms of his tutor a poor honest man who did not long survive him that can easily be understood 
it is so difficult to bear up under the weight of such a loss and such a secret said madame de chevreux the irony of which reflection the queen pretended not to perceive madame de chevreux continued well madame i inquired some years ago at noisy le sec about this unhappy child i was told that it was not believed he was dead and that was my reason for not having at first condoled with your majesty for most certainly if i could have thought it were true never should i have made the slightest allusion to so deplorable an event and thus have reawakened your majesty's most natural distress you say that it is not believed the child died at noisy no madame what did they say about him then they said but no doubt they were mistaken nay speak speak they said that one evening about the year sixteen forty five a lady beautiful and majestic in her bearing which was observed notwithstanding the mask and the mantle that concealed her figure a lady of rank a very high rank no doubt came in a carriage to the place where the road branches off the very same spot you know where i awaited news of the young prince when your majesty was graciously pleased to send me there well well that the boy's tutor or guardian took the child to this lady well what next that both the child and his tutor left that part of the country the very next day there you see there is some truth in what you relate since in point of fact the poor child died from a sudden attack of illness which makes the lives of all children as doctors say suspended as if it were by a thread what your majesty says is quite true no one knows it better than yourself no one believes it more strongly than myself but yet how strange it is what can it be now thought the queen the person who gave me these details who was sent to inquire after the child's health did you confide such a charge to any one else oh duchess someone as dumb as your majesty as dumb as myself we will suppose it was myself madame this someone some months after passing through touraine touraine recognized both the tutor and the child too i am wrong though he recognized them both living cheerful happy and flourishing i am wrong thought he recognized them both living cheerful happy and flourishing the one in a green old age the other in the flower of his youth judge after that what truth can be attributed to the rumors which are circulated or what faith after that placed in anything that may happen in the world but i am fatiguing your majesty it was not my intention however to do so and i will take my leave of you after renewing to you the assurance of my most respectful devotion stay duchess let us first talk a little about yourself of myself madame i am not worthy that you should bend your looks upon me why not indeed are you not the oldest friend i have are you angry with me duchess i indeed what motive could i have if i had reason to be angry with your majesty should i have come here duchess age is fast creeping on us both we should be united against that death whose approach cannot be far off you overpower me madame with the kindness of your language no one has ever loved or served me as you have done duchess your majesty is too kind in remembering it not so give me a proof of your friendship duchess my whole being is devoted to you madame 
the proof i require is that you should ask something of me ask oh i know you well no one is more disinterested more noble and truly loyal do not praise me too highly madame said the duchess somewhat anxiously i could never praise you as much as you deserve to be praised and yet age and misfortune effect a terrible change in people madame so much the better for the beautiful the haughty the adored duchess of former days might have answered me ungratefully i do not wish for anything from you heaven be praised the misfortunes you speak of have indeed worked a change in you for you will now perhaps answer me i accept the duchess's look and smile soon changed at this conclusion and she no longer attempted to act a false part speak dearest what do you want i must first explain to you do so unhesitatingly well then your majesty can confer the greatest the most ineffable pleasure upon me what is it asked the queen a little distant in her manner from the uneasiness of feeling produced by this remark but do not forget my good chevreux that i am quite as much under my son's influence as i was formerly under my husband's i will not be too hard madame call me as you used to do it will be a sweet echo of our happy youth well then my dear mistress my darling anne do you know spanish still yes ask me in spanish then will your majesty do me the honor to pass a few days with me at dampierre is that all said the queen stupefied nothing more than that good heavens can you possibly imagine that in asking you that i am not asking you the greatest conceivable favor if that really be the case you do not know me will you accept yes gladly and i shall be happy continued the queen with some suspicion if my presence can in any way be useful to you useful exclaimed the duchess laughing oh no no agreeable delightful if you like and you promise me then i swear it said the queen whereupon the duchess seized her beautiful hand and covered it with kisses the queen could not help murmuring to herself she is a good-hearted woman and very generous too will your majesty consent to wait a fortnight before you come certainly but why because said the duchess knowing me to be in disgrace no one would lend me the hundred thousand francs which i require to put dampierre into a state of repair but when it is known that i require that sum for the purpose of receiving your majesty at dampierre properly all the money in paris will be at my disposal ah said the queen gently nodding her head in sign of intelligence a hundred thousand francs you want a hundred thousand francs to put dampierre into repair quite as much as that and no one will lend you them no one i will lend them to you if you like duchess oh i hardly dare accept such a sum you would be wrong if you did not besides a hundred thousand francs is really not much i know but too well that you never set a right value upon your silence and secrecy push that table a little towards me duchess and i will write you an order on monsieur colbert no on monsieur fouquet who is a far more courteous and obliging man will he pay it though if he will not pay it i will but it will be the first time he will have refused me the queen wrote and handed the duchess the order and afterwards dismissed her with a warm embrace 
End of chapter 44. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter 45 of Louisa de la Valliera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Chapter 45 How Jean de la Fontaine Came to Write His First Tale. All these intrigues are exhausted. The human mind, so variously complicated, has been enabled to develop itself at its ease in the three outlines with which our recital has supplied it it is not unlikely that in the future we are now preparing a question of politics and intrigues may still arise but the springs by which they work will be so carefully concealed that no one will be able to see aught but flowers and paintings just as at a theatre where a colossus appears upon the scene walking along moved by the small legs and slender arms of a child concealed within the framework we now return to san manda where the superintendent was in the habit of receiving his select confederacy of epicureans for some time past the host had met with nothing but trouble every one in the house was aware of and felt for the minister's distress no more magnificent or recklessly improvident reunions money had been the pretext assigned by fouquet and never was any pretext as gorbia said more fallacious for there was not even a shadow of money to be seen monsieur vatel was resolutely painstaking in keeping up the reputation of the house and yet the gardeners who supplied the kitchens complained of ruinous delays the agents for the supply of spanish wines sent drafts which no one honored fishermen whom the superintendent engaged on the coast of normandy calculated that if they were paid all that was due to them the amount would enable them to retire comfortably for life fish which at a later period was the cause of vatel's death did not arrive at all however on the ordinary reception days fouquet's friends flocked in more numerously than ever gorvia and the abbe fouquet talked over money matters that is to say the abbe borrowed a few pistoles from gorvia helizou seated with his legs crossed was engaged in finishing the peroration of a speech with which fouquet was to open the parliament and this speech was a masterpiece because pelissou wrote it for his friend that is to say he inserted all kinds of clever things the latter would most certainly never have taken the trouble to say of his own accord presently loret and la fontaine would enter from the garden engaged in a dispute about the art of making verses the painters and musicians in their turn were hovering near the dining-room as soon as eight o'clock struck the supper would be announced for the superintendent never kept any one waiting it was already half-past seven and the appetites of the guests were beginning to declare themselves in an emphatic manner as soon as all the guests were assembled gorvia went straight up to pelisou awoke him out of his reverie and led him into the middle of a room and closed the doors well he said anything new pelisou raised his intelligent and gentle face and said 
i have borrowed five and twenty thousand francs of my aunt and i have them here in good sterling money good replied gourville we only want one hundred and ninety-five thousand livres for the first payment the payment of what asked la fontaine what absent-minded as usual why it was you who told us the small estate at corbelli was going to be sold by one of monsieur fouquet's creditors and you also who proposed that all his friends should subscribe more than that it was you who said that you would sell a corner of your house at chateau tachery in order to furnish your own proportion and you come and ask the payment of what this remark was received with a general laugh which made la fontaine blush i beg your pardon he said i had not forgotten it oh no only only you remembered nothing about it replied loret that is the truth and the fact is he is quite right there is a great difference between forgetting and not remembering well then added pelisseau you bring your might in the shape of the price of the piece of land you have sold sold no have you not sold the field then inquired gourville in astonishment for he knew the poet's disinterestedness my wife would not let me replied the latter at which there were fresh bursts of laughter and yet you went to chateau tachery for that purpose said someone certainly i did and on horseback poor fellow i had eight different horses and i was almost bumped to death you are an excellent fellow and you rested yourself when you arrived there rested oh of course i did for i had an immense deal of work to do how so my wife had been flirting with the man to whom i wished to sell the land the fellow drew back from his bargain and so i challenged him very good and you fought it seems not you know nothing about it i suppose no my wife and her relations interfered in the matter i was kept a quarter of an hour with my sword in my hand but i was not wounded and your adversary oh he wasn't wounded either for he never came on the field capital cried his friends from all sides you must have been terribly angry exceedingly so i caught cold i returned home and then my wife began to quarrel with me in real earnest yes in real earnest she threw a loaf of bread at my head a large loaf and what did you do oh i upset the table over her and her guests and then i got on my horse again and here i am everyone had great difficulty in keeping his countenance at the exposure of this heroic comedy and when the laughter had subsided one of the guests present said to la fontaine is that all you have brought back oh no i have an excellent idea in my head what is it have you noticed that there is a good deal of sportive jesting poetry being written in france yes of course replied everyone and pursued la fontaine only a very small portion of it is printed the laws are strict you know that may be but a rare article is a dear article and that is the reason why i have written a small poem excessively free in its style very broad and extremely cynical in its tone the deuce you have yes continued the poet with assumed indifference 
and i have introduced the greatest freedom of language i could possibly employ peals of laughter again broke forth while the poet was thus announcing the quality of his wares and he continued i have tried to excel everything that Bodicio, aretina and other masters of their craft have written in the same style its fate is clear said pelisu it will be suppressed and forbidden do you think so said la fontaine simply i assure you i did not do it on my own account so much as monsieur fouquet's this wonderful conclusion again raised the mirth of all present and i have sold the first edition of this little book for eight hundred livres exclaimed la fontaine rubbing his hands together serious and religion's books sell at about half that rate it would have been better said gourville to have written two religious books instead it would have been too long and not amusing enough replied la fontaine tranquilly my eight hundred livres are in this little bag and i beg to offer them as my contribution as he said this he placed his offering in the hands of their treasurer it was then loret's turn who gave a hundred and fifty livres the others stripped themselves in the same way and the total sum in the purse amounted to forty thousand livres the money was still being counted over when the superintendent noiselessly entered the room he had heard everything and then this man who had possessed so many millions who had exhausted all the pleasures and honors the world had to bestow this generous heart this inexhaustible brain which had like two burning crucibles devoured the material and moral substance of the first kingdom in europe was seen to cross the threshold with tears in his eyes and pass his fingers through the gold and silver which the bag contained poor offering he said in a softened and affected tone of voice you will disappear into the smallest corner of my empty purse but you have filled to overflowing that which no one can ever exhaust my heart thank you my friends thank you and as he could not embrace every one present who were all tearful too philosophers as they were he embraced la fontaine saying to him poor fellow so you have on my account been beaten by your wife and censured by your confessor ah it is a mere nothing replied the poet if your creditors will only wait a couple of years i shall have written a hundred other tales which at two editions each will pay off the debt end of chapter forty five recording by dion gines salt lake city utah chapter forty six of louisa de la valliera this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Chapter 46. La Fontaine in the Character of a Negotiator. Fouquet pressed La Fontaine's hand most warmly, saying to him, My dear poet, write a hundred other tales, not only for the eighty pistoles which each of them will produce you, but still more to enrich our language with a hundred new masterpieces of composition oh said la fontaine with a little air of pride you must not suppose that i have only brought this idea and the eighty pistoles to the superintendent ah indeed was the general acclamation from all parts of the room monsieur de la fontaine is in funds to-day 
exactly replied la fontaine quick quick cried the assembly take care said pelisou in la fontaine's ear you have had a most brilliant success up to the present moment do not go beyond your depth not at all monsieur pelisou and you who are a man of decided taste will be the first to approve of what i have done we are talking of millions remember said gourville i have fifteen hundred thousand francs here monsieur gourville he replied striking himself on the chest the deuce take this gascou from chateau to cherry cried loret it is not the pocket you must tap but the brain said fouquet stay a moment monsieur le superintendent added la fontaine you are not procureur general you are a poet true true cried loret conrart and every person present connected with literature you are i repeat a poet and a painter a sculptor a friend of the arts and sciences but acknowledge that you are no lawyer oh i do acknowledge it replied monsieur fouquet smiling if you were to be nominated at the academy you would refuse i think i think i should with all due deference to the academicians very good if therefore you do not wish to belong to the academy why do you allow yourself to form one of the parliament oh said pelisou we are talking politics i wish to know whether the barrister's gown does or does not become monsieur fouquet there is no question of the gown at all retorted pelisou annoyed at the laughter of those who were present on the contrary it is the gown said loret take the gown away from the procureur-general said conrart and we have monsieur fouquet left us still of whom we have no reason to complain but as he is no procureur-general without his gown we agree with monsieur de la fontaine and pronounce the gown to be nothing but a bugbear fugeunt resus la peresque said loret the smiles and the graces said someone present that is not the way said pelisou gravely and i translate la peresque how do you translate it said la fontaine thus the hares run away as soon as they see monsieur fouquet a burst of laughter in which the superintendent joined following this sally but why hares objected conrart vexed because the hare will be the very one who will not be overpleased to see monsieur fouquet surrounded by all the attributes which his parliamentary strength and power confer on him oh oh murmured the poets quo non ascendum said conrart seems impossible to me when one is fortunate enough to wear the gown of the procureur-general footnote to what heights may he not aspire fouquet's motto End of footnote. on the contrary it seems so to me without that gown said the obstinate pelisou what is your opinion gourville i think the gown in question is a very good thing replied the latter but i equally think that a million and a half is far better than the gown and i am of gourville's opinion exclaimed fouquet stopping the discussion by the expression of his own opinion which would necessarily bear down all the others a million and a half pelisou grumbled out now i happen to know an indian fable 
tell it to me," said La Fontaine; "I ought to know it too." "Tell it, tell it," said the others. "There was a tortoise, which was, as usual, well protected by its shell," said Pelisson; "whenever its enemies threatened it, it took refuge within its covering. One day some one said to it, 'You must feel very hot in such a house as that in the summer, and you are altogether prevented showing off your graces. There is a snake here, who will give you a million and a half for your shell.'" "Good!" said the superintendent, laughing. "Well, what next?" said La Fontaine, more interested in the apologue than in the moral. "The tortoise sold his shell, and remained naked and defenseless. A vulture happened to see him, and, being hungry, broke the tortoise's back with a blow of his beak, and devoured it. The moral is that Monsieur Fouquet should take very good care to keep his gown." La Fontaine understood the moral seriously. "'You forget Aeschylus,' he said to his adversary. "'What do you mean?' Aeschylus was bald-headed and a vulture. "'Your vulture, probably.' "'Who was a great amateur in tortoises, mistook at a distance his head for a block of stone, and let a tortoise, which was shrunk up in his shell, fall upon it. Yes, yes, La Fontaine is right, resumed Fouquet, who had become very thoughtful. Whenever a vulture wishes to devour a tortoise, he well knows how to break his shell. But happy is that tortoise, a snake pays a million and a half for his envelope. If any one were to bring me a generous-hearted snake like the one in your fable, Pelisou, I would give him my shell. Rare avienter, cried Conrart. Footnote: A creature rare on earth. End of footnote. And like a black swan, is he not? Added La Fontaine. Well, then the bird in question, black and rare, is already found. Do you mean to say that you have found a purchaser for my post of procureur general? Exclaimed Fouquet. I have, Monsieur. But the superintendent never said that he wished to sell, resumed Pelisou. I beg your pardon, said Conrart. You, you yourself spoke about it, even. Yes, I am a witness to that, said Gourville. He seems very tenacious about his brilliant idea, said Fouquet, laughing. Well, La Fontaine, who is the purchaser? A perfect blackbird, for he is a counsellor belonging to the parliament, an excellent fellow. What is his name? Vanel. Vanel, exclaimed Fouquet. Vanel, the husband of... Precisely, her husband, yes, monsieur. Poor fellow, said Fouquet, with an expression of great interest. He wishes to be everything that you have been, monsieur, said Gourville, and to do everything that you have done. It is very agreeable. Tell us all about it, La Fontaine. It is very simple. I see him occasionally, and a short time ago I met him, walking about on the Place de la Bastille, at the very moment when I was about to take the small carriage to come down here to saint Mande. He must have been watching his wife, interrupted Loret. Oh, no, said La Fontaine, he is far from being jealous. He accosted me, embraced me, and took me to the inn called La Mage, saint and told me all about his troubles he has his troubles then yes his wife wants to make him ambitious well and he told you 
that some one had spoken to him about a post in parliament that monsieur fouquet's name had been mentioned that ever since madame vanel dreams of nothing else than being called madame la procureur general and that it makes her ill and kills her every night she does not dream about it the deuce poor woman cried fouquet wait a minute conrad is always telling me that i do not know how to conduct matters of business you will see how i manage this one well go on i suppose you know said i to vanel that the value of such a post such as that which m fouquet holds is by no means trifling how much do you imagine it to be he said m fouquet i know has refused seventeen hundred thousand francs my wife replied vanel had estimated it at about fourteen hundred thousand ready money i said yes she has sold some property of hers in guienne and has received the purchase money that's a pretty sum to touch all at once said the abbe fouquet who had not hitherto said a word poor madame vanel murmured fouquet pelisou shrugged his shoulders as he whispered in fouquet's ear that woman is a perfect fiend that may be and it will be delightful to make use of this fiend's money to repair the injury which an angel has done herself for me pelisou looked with a surprised air at fouquet whose thoughts were from that moment fixed upon a fresh object in view well inquired la fontaine what about my negotiation admirable my dear poet yes said gourville but there are some people who are anxious to have the steed who have not even money enough to pay for the bridle and vanel would draw back from his offer if he were to be taken at his word continued the abbe fouquet i do not believe it said la fontaine what do you know about it why you have not yet heard the denouement of my story if there is a denouement why do you beat about the bush so much semper ad eventum is that correct said fouquet with the air of a nobleman who condescends to barbarisms to which the latinists present answered with loud applause footnote with an eye always to the climax End of footnote. my denouement cried la fontaine is that vanel that determined blackbird knowing that i was coming to st manda implored me to bring him with me and if possible to present him to monsieur fouquet so that so that he is here i left him in that part of the ground called bel air well monsieur fouquet what is your reply well it is not respectful towards madame vanel that her husband should run the risk of catching cold outside my house send for him la fontaine since you know where he is i will go myself and i will accompany you said the abbe fouquet i will carry the money-bags no jesting said fouquet seriously let the business be a serious one if it is to be one at all but first of all let us show we are hospitable make my apologies la fontaine to monsieur vanel and tell him how distressed i am to have kept him waiting but that i was not aware he was there la fontaine set off at once fortunately accompanied by gourville for absorbed in his own calculations 
the poet would have mistaken the route and was hurrying as fast as he could towards the village of san Monde. within a quarter of an hour afterwards Monsieur vanel was introduced into the superintendent's cabinet a description of which has already been given at the beginning of this story when fouquet saw him enter he called to pelisou and whispered a few words in his ear do not lose a single word of what i am going to say let all the silver and gold plate together with my jewels of every description be packed up in the carriage you will take the black horses the jeweller will accompany you and you will postpone the supper until madame de belliere's arrival will it be necessary to inform madame de belliere of it said pelisou no that will be useless i will do that so away with you my dear friend pelisou set off not quite clear as to his friend's meaning or intention but confident like every true friend in the judgment of the man he was blindly obeying it is that which constitutes the strength of such men distrust only arises in the minds of inferior natures vanel bowed lowly to the superintendent and was about to begin a speech do not trouble yourself monsieur said fouquet politely i am told you wish to purchase a post i hold how much can you give me for it it is for you monseigneur to fix the amount you require i know that offers of purchase have already been made to you for it madame vanel i have been told values it at fourteen hundred thousand livres that is all we have can you give me the money immediately i have not the money with me said vanel frightened almost by the unpretending simplicity amounting to greatness of the man for he had expected disputes difficulties opposition of every kind when will you be able to bring it whatever you please monseigneur for he began to be afraid that fouquet was trifling with him if it were not for the trouble you would have in returning to paris i would say at once but we will arrange that the payment and the signature shall take place at six o'clock to-morrow morning very good said vanel as cold as ice and feeling quite bewildered adieu monsieur vanel present my humblest respects to madame vanel said fouquet as he rose upon which vanel who felt the blood rushing to his head for he was quite confounded by his success said seriously to the superintendent will you give me your word monseigneur upon this affair fouquet turned round his head saying pardieu and you monsieur vanel hesitated trembling all over and at last finished by hesitatingly holding out his hand fouquet opened and nobly extended his own his loyal hand lay for a moment in vanel's most hypocritical palm and he pressed it in his own in order the better to convince himself of the compact the superintendent gently disengaged his hand and he again said adieu and then vanel ran hastily to the door hurried along the vestibule and fled as quickly as he could End of chapter forty six recording by dion gines salt lake city utah Chapter forty seven of Louisa de la Valliera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. 
Louisa de la Valliere by Alexandra Dumas. Chapter forty seven. Madame de Belliere's plate and diamonds. Fouquet had no sooner dismissed Vanel than he began to reflect for a few moments. A man never can do too much for the woman he has once loved. Marguerite wishes to be the wife of a procureur-general, and why not confer this pleasure upon her? And, now that the most scrupulous and sensitive conscience will be unable to reproach me with anything, let my thoughts be bestowed on her who has shown so much devotion for me. Madame de Belliere ought to be there by this time, he said, as he turned towards the secret door after he had locked himself in he opened the subterranean passage and rapidly hastened towards the means of communicating between the house at vincennes and his own residence he had neglected to apprise his friend of his approach by ringing the bell perfectly assured that she would never fail to be exact at the rendezvous as indeed was the case for she was already waiting the noise the superintendent made aroused her she ran to take from under the door the letter he had thrust there and which simply said come marquis we are waiting supper for you with her heart filled with happiness madame de belliere ran to her carriage in the avenue de vincennes and in a few minutes she was holding out her hand to gorvia who was standing at the entrance where in order the better to please his master he had stationed himself to watch her arrival she had not observed that fouquet's black horse arrived at the same time all steaming and foam-flaked having returned to saint mande with pelisson and the very jeweller to whom madame de belliere had sold her plate and jewels pelisson introduced the goldsmith into the cabinet which fouquet had not yet left the superintendent thanked him for having been good enough to regard as a simple deposit in his hands the valuable property which he had every right to sell and he cast his eyes on the total of the account which amounted to thirteen hundred thousand francs then going for a few minutes to his desk he wrote an order for fourteen hundred thousand francs payable at sight at his treasury before twelve o'clock the next day a hundred thousand francs profit cried the goldsmith oh monseigneur what generosity nay nay not so monsieur said fouquet touching him on the shoulder there are certain kindnesses which can never be repaid this profit is only what you have earned but the interest of your money still remains to be arranged and saying this he unfastened from his sleeve a diamond button which the goldsmith himself had often valued at three thousand pistoles take this he said to the goldsmith in remembrance of me farewell you are an honest man and you monseigneur cried the goldsmith completely overcome are the noblest man that ever lived fouquet let the worthy goldsmith pass out of the room by a secret door and then went to receive madame de belliere who was already surrounded by all the guests the marquis was always beautiful but now her loveliness was more dazzling than ever do you not think gentlemen said fouquet that madame is more than usually beautiful this evening and do you happen to know why because madame is really the most beautiful of all women said someone present no but because she is the best and yet 
yet said the marquis smiling and yet all the jewels which madame is wearing this evening are nothing but false stones at this remark the marquis blushed most painfully oh oh exclaimed all the guests that can very well be said of one who has the finest diamonds in paris well said fouquet to pelisson in a low tone well at last i have understood you returned the latter and you have done exceedingly well supper is ready monseigneur said vatel with majestic air and tone the crowd of guests hurried more quickly than is usually the case with ministerial entertainments towards the banqueting-room where a magnificent spectacle presented itself upon the buffets upon the side-tables upon the supper-table itself in the midst of flowers and light glittered most dazzlingly the richest and most costly gold and silver plate that could possibly be seen relics of those ancient magnificent productions the florentine artists whom the medici family patronized sculptured chased and moulded for the purpose of holding flowers at a time when gold existed still in france these hidden marvels which had been buried during the civil wars timidly reappeared during the intervals of that war of good taste called la fronda at a time when noblemen fighting against noblemen killed but did not pillage each other all the plate present had madame de belliere's arms engraved upon it look cried la fontaine here is a p and a b but the most remarkable object present was the cover which fouquet had assigned to the marquise near her was a pyramid of diamonds sapphires emeralds antique cameos sardonic stones carved by the old greeks of asia minor with mountings of mysian gold curious mosaics of ancient alexandria set in silver massive egyptian bracelets lay heaped on a large plate of holly-sea ware supported by a tripod of gilt bronze sculptured by benvenuto cellini the marquisa turned pale as she recognized what she had never expected to see again a profound silence fell on every one of the restless and excited guests fouquet did not even make a sign in dismissal of the richly liveried servants who crowded like bees round the huge buffets and other tables in the room gentlemen he said all this plate which you behold once belonged to madame de belliere who having observed one of her friends in great distress sent all this gold and silver together with the heaps of jewels now before her to her goldsmith this noble conduct of a devoted friend can well be understood by such friends as you happy indeed is that man who sees himself loved in such a manner let us drink to the health of madame de belliere a tremendous burst of applause followed his words and made poor madame de belliere sink back dumb and breathless in her seat and then added pelisson who was always affected by a noble action as he was invariably impressed by beauty let us also drink to the health of him who inspired madame's noble conduct for such a man is worthy of being worthily loved it was now the marquise's turn she rose pale and smiling and as she held out her glass with a faltering hand and her trembling fingers touched those of fouquet her look full of love found its mirror in that of her ardent and generous-hearted lover begun in this manner the supper soon became a fete 
no one tried to be witty, but no one failed in being so. La Fontaine forgot his Gorgini wine, and allowed Ventel to reconcile him to the wines of the Rhone, and those from the shores of Spain. The Abbey Fouquet became so kind and good-natured, that Gorvia said to him, Take care, monsieur, Labby. If you are so tender, you will be carved and eaten. The hours passed away so joyously, that, contrary to his usual custom, the superintendent did not leave the table before the end of the dessert. He smiled upon his friends, delighted as a man is whose heart becomes intoxicated before his head, and, for the first time, looked at the clock. Suddenly a carriage rolled into the courtyard, and, strange to say, it was heard high above the noise of the mirth which prevailed. Fouquet listened attentively, and then turned his eyes toward the antechamber. It seemed as if he could hear a step passing across it, a step that, instead of pressing the ground, weighed heavily upon his heart. Monsieur d'Herblay, Bishop of Vanna, the usher announced, and Aramis's grave and thoughtful face appeared upon the threshold of the door, between the remains of two garlands, of which the flame of a lamp had just burnt the thread that once united them. End of chapter 47 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter 48 of Louisa de la Valliera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliera by Alexandra Dumas. Chapter 48 monsieur de mazarin's receipt fouquet would have uttered an exclamation of delight on seeing another friend arrive if the cold air and averted aspect of aramis had not restored all his reserve are you going to join us at dessert he asked and yet you would be frightened perhaps at the noise which our wild friends here are making monseigneur replied aramis respectfully I will begin by begging you to excuse me for having interrupted this merry meeting, and then I will beg you to give me, as soon as your pleasure is attended to, a moment's audience on matters of business. As the word business had aroused the attention of some of the Epicureans present, Fouquet rose, saying, Business first of all. Monsieur Herblay, we are too happy when matters of business arrive only at the end of a meal. As he said this, he took the hand of Madame de Belliere, who looked at him with a kind of uneasiness, and then led her to an adjoining salon, after having recommended her to the most reasonable of his guests, and then, taking Aramis by the arm, he led him towards his cabinet. As soon as Aramis was there, throwing aside the respectful air he had assumed, he threw himself into a chair, saying, "'Guess whom I have seen this evening?' my dear chevalier every time you begin in that manner i am sure to hear you announce something disagreeable well and this time you will not be mistaken either my dear friend replied aramis do not keep me in suspense added fouquet phlegmatically well then i have seen madame de chevreux the old duchess do you mean yes her ghost perhaps no no the old she-wolf herself without teeth possibly but not without claws well what harm can she meditate against me 
I am no miser with women who are not prudes, a quality always prized even by the woman who no longer presumes to look for love. Madame de Chevreux knows very well that you are not avaricious, since she wishes to draw some money of you. Indeed, under what pretext? Oh, pretexts are never wanting with her. Let me tell you what it is. It seems that the Duchess has a good many letters of Monsieur de Mazarin's in her possession. I am not surprised at that, for the prelate was gallant enough. Yes, but these letters have nothing whatsoever to do with the prelate's love affairs. They concern, it is said, of financial matters, rather, and, accordingly, they are less interesting. Do you not suspect what I mean? Not at all. Have you never heard speak of a prosecution being instituted for an embezzlement or appropriation rather of public funds yes a hundred nay a thousand times ever since i have been engaged in public matters i have hardly heard of anything else it is precisely your own case when as a bishop people reproach you for impiety or as a musketeer for your cowardice the very thing of which they are always accusing ministers of finance is the embezzlement of public funds. Very good, but take a particular instance, for the Duchess asserts that Monsieur de Mazarin alludes to certain particular instances. What are they? Something like a sum of thirteen millions of francs, of which it would be very difficult for you to define the precise nature of the employment. Thirteen millions, said the superintendent, stretching himself in his armchair, in order to enable him the more comfortably to look up towards the ceiling. Thirteen millions, I am trying to remember out of all those I have been accused of having stolen. Do not laugh, my dear monsieur, for it is very serious. It is positive that the Duchess has certain letters in her possession, and that these letters must be as she represents them since she wished to sell them to me for five hundred thousand francs oh one can have a very tolerable calumny got up for such a sum as that replied fouquet ah now i know what you mean and he began to laugh very heartily so much the better said aramis a little reassured i remember the story of those thirteen millions now yes yes i remember them quite well i am delighted to hear it tell me about them well then one day signor mazarin heaven rest his soul made a profit of thirteen millions upon a concession of lands in the val tellina he cancelled them in the registry of receipts sent them to me and then made me advance them to him for war expenses very good then there is no doubt of their proper destination no the cardinal made me invest them in my own name and gave me a receipt you have the receipt of course said fouquet as he quietly rose from his chair and went to his large ebony bureau inlaid with mother-of-pearl and gold what i most admire in you said aramis with an air of great satisfaction is your memory in the first place then your self-possession and finally the perfect order which prevails in your administration you of all men too who are by nature a poet yes said fouquet i am orderly out of a spirit of idleness to save myself the trouble of looking after things and so i know that mazarin's receipt is in the third drawer under the letter m i open the drawer and place my hand upon the very paper i need 
in the night without a light i could find it and with a confident hand he felt the bundle of papers which were piled up in the open drawer nay more than that he continued i remember the paper as if i saw it it is thick somewhat crumpled with gilt edges mazarin had made a blot upon the figure of the date ah he said the paper knows we are talking about it and that we want it very much and so it hides itself out of the way and as the superintendent looked into the drawer aramis rose from his seat this is very singular said fouquet your memory is treacherous my dear monseigneur look in another drawer fouquet took out the bundle of papers and turned them over once more then he grew very pale don't confine your search to that drawer said aramis look elsewhere quite useless i have never made a mistake no one but myself arranges any papers of mine of this nature no one but myself ever opens this drawer of which besides no one myself excepted is aware of the secret what do you conclude then said aramis agitated that mazarin's receipt has been stolen from me madame de chevreux was right chevalier i have appropriated the public funds i have robbed the state coffers of thirteen millions of money i am a thief monsieur d'herblay nay nay do not get irritated do not get excited and why not chevalier surely there is every reason for it if legal proceedings are well arranged and a judgment given in accordance with them your friend the superintendent will soon follow montfaucon his colleague angerone de marigny and his predecessor semblancet oh said aramis smiling not so fast as that and why not why not so fast what do you suppose madame de chevreux has done with those letters for you refused them i suppose yes at once i suppose that she went and sold them to monsieur colbert well i said i supposed so i might have said i was sure of it for i had her followed and when she left me she returned to her own house went out by a back door and proceeded straight to the intendant's house in the rue croix des petitchamps legal proceedings will be instituted then scandal and dishonor will follow and all will fall upon me like a thunderbolt blindly pitilessly aramis approached fouquet who sat trembling in his chair close to the open drawers he placed his hand on his shoulder and in an affectionate tone of voice said do not forget that the position of m fouquet can in no way be compared to that of semblancet or of marigny and why not in heaven's name because the proceedings against those ministers were determined completed and the sentence carried out whilst in your case the same thing cannot take place another blow why not a peculator is under any circumstances a criminal criminals who know how to find a safe asylum are never in danger what make my escape fly no i do not mean that you forget that all such proceedings originate in the parliament that they are instituted by the procureur-general and that you are the procureur-general you see that unless you wish to condemn yourself oh cried fouquet suddenly dashing his fist upon the table well what what is the matter i am procureur-general no longer aramis at this reply became as livid as death 
he pressed his hands together convulsively and with a wild haggard look which almost annihilated fouquet he said laying a stress on every distinct syllable you are procureur general no longer do you say no since when since the last four or five hours take care interrupted aramis coldly i do not think you are in the full possession of your senses my friend collect yourself i tell you returned fouquet that a little while ago someone came to me brought by my friends to offer me fourteen hundred thousand francs for the appointment and that i sold it aramis looked as though he had been struck by lightning the intelligent and mocking expression of his countenance assumed an aspect of such profound gloom and terror that it had more effect upon the superintendent than all the exclamations and speeches in the world you had need of money then he said at last yes to discharge a debt of honor and in a few words he gave aramis an account of madame de belliere's generosity and the manner in which he had thought it but right to discharge that act of generosity yes said aramis that is indeed a fine trait what has it cost exactly the fourteen hundred thousand francs the price of my appointment which you received in that manner without reflection oh imprudent man i have not yet received the amount but i shall to-morrow it is not yet completed then it must be carried out though for i have given the goldsmith for twelve o'clock to-morrow an order upon my treasury into which the purchaser's money will be paid at six or seven o'clock heaven be praised cried aramis clapping his hands together nothing is yet completed since you have not yet been paid but the goldsmith you shall receive the fourteen hundred thousand francs from me at a quarter before twelve stay a moment it is at six o'clock this very morning that i am to sign oh i will answer that you do not sign i have given my word chevalier if you have given it you will take it back again that is all can i believe what i hear cried fouquet in a most expressive tone fouquet recall his word after it has once been pledged aramis replied to the almost stern look of the minister by a look full of anger monsieur he said i believe i have deserved to be called a man of honor as a soldier i have risked my life five hundred times as a priest i have rendered still greater services both to the state and to my friends the value of a word once passed is estimated according to the worth of the man who gives it so long as it is in his own keeping it is of the purest finest gold when his wish to keep it has passed away it is a two-edged sword with that word therefore he defends himself as with an honorable weapon considering that when he disregards his word he endangers his life and incurs an amount of risk far greater than that which his adversary is likely to derive of profit in such a case monsieur he appeals to heaven and to justice fouquet bent down his head as he replied i am a poor self-determined man a true breton born my mind admires and fears yours i do not say that i keep my word from a proper feeling only i keep it if you like from custom practice pride or what you will but in all events the ordinary run of men are simple enough to admire this custom of mine it is my sole good quality 
leave me such honor as it confers and so you are determined to sign the sale of the very appointment which can alone defend you against all your enemies yes i shall sign you will deliver yourself up then bound hand and foot from a false notion of honor which the most scrupulous casuist would disdain i shall sign repeated fouquet aramis sighed deeply and looked all round him with the impatient gesture of a man who would gladly dash something to pieces as a relief to his feelings we have still one means left he said and i trust you will not refuse me to make use of that certainly not if it be loyal and honorable as everything is in fact which you propose i know nothing more loyal than the renunciation of your purchaser is he a friend of yours certainly but but if you allow me to manage the affair i do not despair oh you shall be absolutely master to do what you please whom are you in treaty with what manner of man is it i am not aware whether you know the parliament most of its members one of the presidents perhaps no only a counsellor of the name of vanel aramis became perfectly purple vanel he cried rising abruptly from his seat vanel the husband of marguerite vanel exactly of your former mistress yes my dear fellow she is anxious to be the wife of the procureur-general i certainly owed poor vanel that slight concession and i am a gainer by it since i at the same time can confer a pleasure on his wife aramis walked straight up to fouquet and took hold of his hand do you know he said very calmly the name of madame vanel's new lover ah she has a new lover then i was not aware of it no i have no idea what his name is his name is monsieur jean baptiste colbert he is intendant of the finances he lives in the rue croix de Padichamp, where madame de chevreux has been this evening to take him mazarin's letters which she wishes to sell gracious heaven murmured fouquet passing his hand across his forehead from which the perspiration was starting you now begin to understand do you not that i am utterly lost yes do you now think it worth while to be so scrupulous with regard to keeping your word yes said fouquet these obstinate people always contrive manners in such a way that one cannot but admire them all the while murmured aramis fouquet held out his hand to him and at the very moment a richly ornamented tortoise-shell clock supported by golden figures which was standing on a console table opposite to the fireplace struck six the sound of a door being opened in the vestibule was heard and gourville came to the door of the cabinet to inquire if fouquet would receive monsieur vanel fouquet turned his eyes from the gaze of aramis and then desired that monsieur vanel should be shown in end of chapter forty eight recording by dion gines salt lake city utah Chapter Forty Nine of Louisa de la Valliera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliera by Alexandra Dumas. Chapter Forty Nine. Monsieur Colbert's Rough Draft. 
Vanel, who entered at this stage of the conversation, was nothing less for Aramis and Fouquet than the full stop which completes a phrase. But for Vanel, Aramis's presence in Fouquet's cabinet had quite another signification, and therefore at his first step into the room he paused as he looked at the delicate yet firm features of the bishop of vanet and his look of astonishment soon became one of scrutinizing attention as for fouquet a perfect politician that is to say complete master of himself he had already by the energy of his own resolute will contrived to remove from his face all traces of the emotion which aramis's revelation had occasioned he was no longer therefore a man overwhelmed by misfortune and reduced to resort to expedients he held his head proudly erect and indicated by a gesture that vanel could enter he was now the first minister of the state and in his own palace aramis knew the superintendent well the delicacy of the feelings of his heart and the exalted nature of his mind no longer surprised him he confined himself then for the moment intending to resume later an active part in the conversation to the performance of the difficult part of a man who looks on and listens in order to learn and understand vanel was visibly overcome and advanced into the middle of the cabinet bowing to everything and everybody i am here he said you are punctual monsieur vanel returned fouquet in matters of business monseigneur replied vanel i look upon exactitude as a virtue no doubt monsieur i beg your pardon interrupted aramis indicating vanel with his finger but addressing himself to fouquet this is the gentleman i believe who has come about the purchase of your appointment yes i am replied vanel astonished at the extremely haughty tone in which aramis had put the question but in what way am i to address you who do me the honor call me monseigneur replied aramis dryly vanel bowed come gentlemen a truce to these ceremonies let us proceed to the matter itself monseigneur sees said vanel that i am waiting your pleasure on the contrary i am waiting replied fouquet what for may i be permitted to ask monseigneur i thought that you had perhaps something to say oh said vanel to himself he has reflected on the matter and i am lost but resuming his courage he continued no monseigneur nothing absolutely nothing more than what i said to you yesterday and which i am again ready to repeat to you now come now tell me frankly monsieur vanel is not the affair rather a burdensome one for you certainly monseigneur fourteen hundred thousand francs is an important sum so important indeed said fouquet that i have reflected you have been reflecting do you say monseigneur exclaimed vanel anxiously yes that you might not yet be in a position to purchase oh monseigneur do not make yourself uneasy on that score monsieur vanel i shall not blame you for a failure in your word which evidently may arise from inability on your part oh yes monseigneur you would blame me and you would be right in doing so said vanel for a man must either be very imprudent or a fool to undertake engagements which he cannot keep 
and i at least have always regarded a thing agreed on as a thing actually carried out coquet colored while aramis uttered a hum of impatience you would be wrong to exaggerate such notions as those monsieur said the superintendent for a man's mind is variable and full of these very excusable caprices which are however sometimes estimable enough and a man may have wished for something yesterday of which he repents to-day vanel felt a cold trickle down his face monseigneur he muttered aramis who was delighted to find the superintendent carry on the debate with such clearness and precision stood leaning his arm upon the marble top of a console table and began to play with a small gold knife with a malachite handle coquet did not hasten to reply but after a moment's pause come my dear monsieur vanel he said i will explain to you how i am situated vanel began to tremble yesterday i wished to sell monseigneur did more than wish to sell he actually sold well well that may be so but to-day i ask you the favor to restore me my word which i pledged you i received your word as a satisfactory assurance that it would be kept i know that and that is the reason why i now entreat you do you understand me i entreat you to restore it to me fouquet suddenly paused the words i entreat you the effect of which he did not immediately perceive seemed almost to choke him as he uttered it aramis still playing with his knife fixed a look upon vanel which seemed as if he wished to penetrate the recesses of his heart vanel simply bowed as he said i am overcome monseigneur at the honor you do me to consult me upon a matter of business which is already completed but nay do not say but dear monsieur vanel alas monseigneur you see he said as he opened a large pocket-book i have brought the money with me the whole sum i mean and here monseigneur is the contract of sale which i have just effected of a property belonging to my wife the order is authentic in every particular the necessary signatures have been attached to it and it is made payable at sight it is ready money in fact and in one word the whole affair is complete my dear monsieur vanel there is not a matter of business in this world however important it may be which cannot be postponed in order to oblige a man who by that means might and would be made a devoted friend certainly said vanel awkwardly and much more justly acquired would that friend become monsieur vanel since the value of the service he had received would have been so considerable well what do you say what do you decide vanel preserved a perfect silence in the meantime aramis had continued his close observation of the man vanel's narrow face his deeply sunken eyes his arched eyebrows had revealed to the bishop of bonnet the type of an avaricious and ambitious character aramis's method was to oppose one passion by another he saw that monsieur fouquet was defeated morally subdued and so he came to his rescue with fresh weapons in his hands excuse me monseigneur he said you forgot to show monsieur vanel that his own interests are diametrically opposed to this renunciation of the cell vanel looked at the bishop with astonishment he had hardly expected to find an auxiliary in him fouquet also paused to listen to the bishop do you not see continued aramis 
that monsieur vanel in order to purchase your appointment has been obliged to sell a property belonging to his wife well that is no slight matter for one cannot displace as he has done fourteen or fifteen hundred thousand francs without some considerable loss and very serious inconvenience perfectly true said vanel whose secret aramis had with keen-sighted gaze wrung from the bottom of his heart inconveniences such as these are matters of great expense and calculation and whenever a man has money matters to deal with the expenses are generally the very first thing thought of yes yes said fouquet who began to understand aramis's meaning vanel remained perfectly silent he too had understood him aramis observed his coldness of manner and his silence very good he said to himself you are waiting i see until you know the amount but do not fear i shall send you such a flight of crowns that you cannot but capitulate on the spot we must offer monsieur vanel a hundred thousand crowns at once said fouquet carried away by his generous feelings the sum was a good one a prince even would have been satisfied with such a bonus a hundred thousand crowns at that period was the dowry of a king's daughter vanel however did not move he is a perfect rascal thought the bishop well we must offer the five hundred thousand francs at once and he made a sign to fouquet accordingly you seem to have spent more than that dear monsieur vanel said the superintendent the price of ready money is enormous you must have made a great sacrifice in selling your wife's property well what can i have been thinking of i ought to have offered to sign you an order for five hundred thousand francs and even in that case i shall feel that i am greatly indebted to you there was not a gleam of delight or desire on vanel's face which remained perfectly impassable not a muscle of it changed in the slightest degree aramis cast a look almost of despair at fouquet and then going straight up to vanel and taking hold of him by the coat in a familiar manner he said monsieur vanel it is neither the inconvenience nor the displacement of your money nor the sale of your wife's property even that you are thinking of at this moment it is something more important still i can well understand it so pay particular attention to what i am going to say yes monseigneur vanel replied beginning to tremble in every limb as the prelate's eyes seemed almost ready to devour him i offer you therefore in the superintendent's name not three hundred thousand livres nor five hundred thousand but a million a million do you understand me he added as he shook him nervously a million repeated vanel as pale as death a million in other words at the present rate of interest an income of seventy thousand francs come monsieur said fouquet you can hardly refuse that answer do you accept impossible murmured vanel aramis bit his lips and something like a cloud seemed to pass over his face the thunder behind this cloud could easily be imagined he still kept his hold on vanel you have purchased the appointment for fifteen hundred thousand francs i think well you will receive these fifteen hundred thousand francs back again by paying monsieur fouquet a visit and shaking hands with him on the bargain you will have become a gainer of a million and a half you get honor and profit at the same time monsieur vanel i cannot do it said vanel hoarsely very well replied aramis 
who had grasped Vanel so tightly by the coat that, when he let go his hold, Vanel staggered back a few paces. "'Very well. One can now see clearly enough your object in coming here.' "'Yes,' said Fouquet, "'one can easily see that.' "'But,' said Vanel, attempting to stand erect before the weakness of these two men of honour, "'Does the fellow presume to speak?' said Aramis, with the tone of an emperor. "'Fellow,' repeated Vanel. "'The scoundrel, I meant to say,' said Aramis, who had now assumed his usual self-possession. "'Come, monsieur, produce your deed of sale. You have it about you, I suppose, in one of your pockets, already prepared, as an assassin holds his pistol or his dagger concealed under his cloak.' Vanel began to mutter something. "'Enough!' cried Fouquet where is this deed vanel tremblingly searched in his pockets and as he drew out his pocket-book a paper fell out of it while vanel offered the other to fouquet aramis pounced upon the paper which had fallen out as soon as he recognized the handwriting i beg your pardon said vanel that is a rough draft of the deed i see that very clearly retorted aramis with a smile more cutting than a lash of a whip and what i admire most is that this draft is in monsieur colbert's handwriting look monseigneur look as he handed the draft to fouquet who recognized the truth of the fact for covered with erasures with inserted words the margins filled with additions this deed a living proof of colbert's plot had just revealed everything to its unhappy victim well murmured fouquet vanel completely humiliated seemed as if he were looking for some hole wherein to hide himself well said aramis if your name were not fouquet and if your enemy's name were not colbert if you had not this mean thief before you i should say to you repudiate it such a proof as this absolves you from your word but these fellows would think you were afraid they would fear you less than they do therefore sign the deed at once and he held out a pen towards him fouquet pressed aramis's hand but instead of the deed which vanel handed to him he took the rough draft of it no not that paper said aramis hastily this is the one the other is too precious a document for you to part with no no replied fouquet i will sign under monsieur colbert's own handwriting even and i write the handwriting is approved of he then signed and said here it is monsieur vanel and the latter seized the paper dashed down the money and was about to make his escape one moment said aramis are you quite sure the exact amount is there it ought to be counted over monsieur vanel particularly since monsieur colbert makes presents of money to ladies i see ah that worthy monsieur colbert is not so generous as monsieur fouquet and aramis spelling every word every letter of the order to pay distilled his wrath and his contempt drop by drop upon the miserable wretch who had to submit to this torture for a quarter of an hour he was then dismissed not in words but by a gesture as one dismisses or discharges a beggar or a menial as soon as vanel had gone the minister and the prelate their eyes fixed on each other remained silent for a few moments well said aramis the first to break the silence to what can that man be compared who at the very moment he is on the point of entering into a conflict with an enemy armed from head to foot panting for his life presents himself for the contest utterly defenceless throws down his arms and smiles and kisses his hands 
to his adversary in the most gracious manner good faith monsieur fouquet is a weapon which scoundrels frequently make use of against men of honor and it answers their purpose men of honor ought in their turn also to make use of dishonest means against such scoundrels you would soon see how strong they would become without ceasing to be men of honor what they did would be termed the acts of a scoundrel replied fouquet far from that it would be merely coquetting or playing with the truth at all events since you have finished with this panel since you have deprived yourself of the happiness of confounding him by repudiating your word and since you have given up for the purpose of being used against yourself the only weapon which can ruin you my dear friend said fouquet mournfully you are like the teacher of philosophy whom la fontaine was telling us about the other day he saw a child drowning and began to read him a lecture divided into three heads aramis smiled as he said philosophy yes teacher yes a drowning child yes but a child can be saved you shall see but first of all let us talk about business did you not some time ago he continued as fouquet looked at him with a bewildered air speak to me about an idea you had of giving a fete at vaux oh said fouquet that was when affairs were flourishing a fete i believe to which the king invited himself of his own accord no no my dear prelate a fate to which m colbert advised the king to invite himself ah exactly as it would be a fate of so costly a character that you would be ruined in giving it precisely so in happier days as i said just now i had a kind of pride in showing my enemies how inexhaustible my resources were i felt it a point of honor to strike them with amazement by creating millions under circumstances where they imagined nothing but bankruptcies and failures would follow but at present i am arranging my accounts with the state with the king with myself and i must now become a mean stingy man i may be able to prove to the world that i can act or operate with my deniers as i used to do with my bags of pistoles and from to-morrow my equipages shall be sold my mansions mortgaged my expenses curtailed from to-morrow interrupted aramis quietly you will occupy yourself without the slightest delay with your fate at vaux which must hereafter be spoken of as one of the most magnificent productions of your most prosperous days are you mad chevalier d'herblay i do you think so what do you mean then do you not know that a fate at vaux one of the very simplest possible character would cost four or five millions i do not speak of a fate of the very simplest possible character my dear superintendent but since the fate is to be given to the king replied fouquet who misunderstood aramis's idea it cannot be simple just so it ought to be on the scale of the most unbounded magnificence in that case i shall have to spend ten or twelve millions you shall spend twenty if you require it said aramis in a perfectly calm voice where shall i get them exclaimed fouquet that is my affair monsieur le superintendent and do not be uneasy for a moment about it the money shall be placed at once at your disposal the moment you have arranged the plans for your fate chevalier chevalier said fouquet giddy with amazement whither are you hurrying me 
across the gulf into which you were about to fall replied the bishop of vannes take hold of my cloak and throw fear aside why did you not tell me that sooner aramis there was a day when with one million only you could have saved me whilst to-day whilst to-day i can give you twenty said the prelate such is the case however the reason is very simple on the day you speak of i had not the million which you had need of at my disposal whilst now i can easily procure the twenty millions we require may heaven hear you and save me aramis resumed his usual smile the expression of which was so singular heaven never fails to hear me he said i abandon myself to your unreservedly fouquet murmured no no i do not understand it in that manner i am unreservedly devoted to you therefore as you have the clearest the most delicate and the most ingenious mind of the two you shall have entire control over the fate even to the very smallest details only only said fouquet as a man accustomed to understand and appreciate the value of a parenthesis well then leaving the entire invention of the details to you i shall reserve to myself a general superintendence over the execution in what way i mean that you will make of me on that day a major-domo a sort of inspector-general or factotum something between a captain of the guard and manager or steward i will look after the people and will keep the keys of the doors you will give your orders of course but will give them to no one but me they will pass through my lips to reach those for whom they are intended you understand no i am very far from understanding but you agree of course of course my friend that is all i care about then thanks and now go and prepare your list of invitations whom shall i invite everybody you know end of chapter forty nine recording by dion gines salt lake city utah chapter fifty of louisa de la valliera this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines louisa de la valliera by alexandra dumas chapter fifty in which the author thinks it is high time to return to the vicomte de bragelonne our readers will have observed in this story the adventures of the new and of the past generation being detailed as it were side by side he will have noticed in the former the reflection of the glory of earlier years the experience of the bitter things of this world in the former also that peace which takes possession of the heart and that healing of the scars which were formerly deep and painful wounds in the latter the conflicts of love and vanity bitter disappointments ineffable delights life instead of memory if therefore any variety has been presented to the reader in the different episodes of this tale it is to be attributed to the numerous shades of color which are presented on this double tablet where two pictures are seen side by side mingling and harmonizing their severe and pleasing tones the repose of the emotions of one is found in the harmonious contrast with the fiery sentiments of the other after having talked reason with older heads one loves to talk nonsense with youth therefore if the threads of the story do not seem very intimately to connect the chapter we are now writing with the one we have just written 
we do not intend to give ourselves any more thought or trouble about it than ruisdel took in painting an autumn sky after having finished a springtime scene we accordingly resume raoul de bragelonne's story at the very place where our last sketch left him in a state of frenzy and dismay or rather without power or will of his own hardly knowing what he was doing he fled swiftly after the scene in la valliere's chamber that strange exclusion louise's grief montalais's terror the king's wrath all seemed to indicate some misfortune but what he had arrived from london because he had been told of the existence of a danger and almost on his arrival this appearance of danger was manifest was this not sufficient for a lover certainly it was but it was insufficient for a pure and upright heart such as his and yet raoul did not seek for explanations in the very quarter where more jealous or less timid lovers would have done he did not go straight away to his mistress and say louisa is it true that you love me no longer is it true that you love another full of courage full of friendship as he was full of love a religious observer of his word and believing blindly the word of others raoul said within himself guiche wrote to put me on my guard guiche knows something i will go and ask guiche what he knows and tell him what i have seen the journey was not a long one guiche who had been brought from fontainebleau to paris within the last two days was beginning to recover from his wounds and to walk about a little in his room he uttered a cry of joy as he saw raoul with the eagerness of friendship enter the apartment raoul was unable to refrain from a cry of grief when he saw de guiche so pale so thin so melancholy a very few words and a simple gesture which de guiche made to put aside raoul's arm were sufficient to inform the latter of the truth ah so it is said raoul seating himself beside his friend one loves and dies no no not dies replied guiche smiling since i am now recovering and since too i can press you in my arms ah i understand and i understand you too you fancy i am unhappy raoul alas no i am the happiest of men my body suffers but not my mind or my heart if you only knew oh i am indeed the very happiest of men so much the better said raoul so much the better provided it lasts it is over i have had enough happiness to last me to my dying day raoul i have no doubt you have had but she listen i love her because you are not listening to me i beg your pardon your mind is preoccupied yes your health in the first place it is not that i know my dear friend you would be wrong i think to ask me any questions you of all persons in the world and he laid so much weight upon the you that he completely enlightened his friend upon the nature of the evil and the difficulty of remedying it you say that raoul on account of what i wrote to you certainly we will talk over that matter a little when you have finished telling me of all your own pleasures and your pains my dear friend i am entirely at your service thank you i have hurried i have flown here i came in half the time the government couriers usually take now tell me my dear friend what did you want nothing whatever but to make you come well then i am here all is quite right then there must have been something else i suppose no indeed de guiche upon my honor 
you cannot possibly have crushed all my hopes so violently or have exposed me to being disgraced by the king for my return which is in disobedience of his orders you cannot i say have planted jealousy in my heart merely to say to me it is all right be perfectly easy i did not say to you raoul be perfectly easy but pray understand me i never will nor can i indeed tell you anything else what sort of person do you take me for what do you mean if you know anything why conceal it from me if you do not know anything why did you write so warningly true true i was very wrong and i regret having done so raoul it seems nothing to write to a friend and say come but to have this friend face to face to feel him tremble and breathlessly and anxiously wait to hear what one hardly dare tell him is very difficult dare i have courage enough if you have not exclaimed raoul in despair see how unjust you are and how soon you forget you have to do with a poor wounded fellow such as your unhappy friend is so calm yourself raoul i said to you come you are here so ask me nothing further your object in telling me to come was your hope that i should see with my own eyes was it not nay do not hesitate for i have seen all oh exclaimed de guiche or at least i thought there now you see you are not sure but if you have any doubt my poor friend what remains for me to do i saw louisa much agitated montalais in a state of bewilderment the king the king yes you turn your head aside the danger is there the evil is there tell me is it not so is it not the king i say nothing oh you say a thousand times more than nothing give me facts for pity's sake give me proofs my friend the only friend i have speak tell me all my heart is crushed wounded to death i am dying from despair if that really be so as i see it is indeed dear raoul replied de guiche you relieve me from my difficulty and i will tell you all perfectly sure that i can tell you nothing but what is consoling compared to the despair from which i see you are suffering go on go on i am listening well then i can only tell you what you might learn from every one you meet from every one do you say it is talked about them before you say people talk about it learn what it is that people have to talk about i assure you solemnly that people only talk about what may in truth be very innocent perhaps a walk ah a walk with the king yes certainly a walk with the king and i believe the king has already very frequently before taken walks with ladies without on that account you would not have written to me shall i say again if there had been nothing unusual in this promenade i know that while the storm lasted it would have been far better if the king had taken shelter somewhere else than to have remained with his head uncovered before la valliere but the king is so very courteous and polite oh de guiche de guiche you are killing me do not let us talk any more then nay let us continue this walk was followed by others i suppose no i mean yes there was the adventure of the oak i think but i know nothing about the matter at all raoul rose de guiche endeavored to imitate him notwithstanding his weakness well i will not add another word i have said either too much or not enough 
let others give you further information if they will or if they can my duty was to warn you and that i have done watch over your own affairs now yourself question others alas you are no true friend to speak to me in that manner said the young man in utter distress the first man i meet may be either evilly disposed or a fool if the former he will tell me a lie to make me suffer more than i do now if the latter he will do worse still ah de guiche de guiche before two hours are over i shall have been told ten falsehoods and shall have as many duels on my hands save me then is it not best to know the worst always but i know nothing i tell you i was wounded attacked by fever out of my senses and i have only a very faint recollection of it all but there is no reason why we should search very far when the very man we want is close at hand is not d'artagnan your friend oh true true go to him then he will be able to throw sufficient light upon the subject at this moment a lackey entered the room what is it said de guiche someone is waiting for monseigneur in the cabinet des porcelaines very well will you excuse me my dear raoul i am so proud since i have been able to walk again i would offer you my arm de guiche if i did not guess that the person in question is a lady i believe so said de guiche smiling as he quitted raoul raoul remained motionless absorbed in grief overwhelmed like the miner upon whom a vault has just fallen in who wounded his life-blood welling fast his thoughts confused endeavors to recover himself to save his life and to retain his reason a few minutes were all roll needed to dissipate the bewildering sensations occasioned by these two revelations he had already recovered the thread of his ideas when suddenly through the door he fancied he recognized monolay's voice in the cabinet des porcelaines she he cried yes it is indeed her voice she will be able to tell me the whole truth but shall i question her here she conceals herself even from me she is coming no doubt from madame i will see her in her own apartment she will explain her alarm her flight the strange manner in which i was driven out she will tell me all that after monsieur d'artagnan who knows everything shall have given me a fresh strength and courage madame a coquette i fear and yet a coquette who is herself in love has her moments of kindness a coquette who is as capricious and uncertain as life or death but who tells de guiche that he is the happiest of men he is at least lying on roses and so he hastily quitted the comte's apartments reproaching himself as he went for having talked of nothing but his own affairs to de guiche and soon reached d'artagnan's quarters End of chapter 50 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah